the the whole idea was so that people can feel like they're actually sitting in a bar. Right. Um, so, you know, background, noise, somebody could walk in and, like, say hello. Right. So right. anything can happen. Totally. Um, if something really crazy happens, then we'll cut it out and feel free to curse and yell. Okay. <laughs> uh, don't yell. Why would you yell? I don't know. No. If, if something makes you mad, you can yell. Sure. And, uh... And I might get it. emphatic. Things I think you know your questions <laughs> might make me emphatic. And, um, I'm sure that some of them will. But I mean, I don't have anything prepared. This is like yeah. something else. <laughs> and um, let's do a COVID clink with the bottom of our glasses. All right. Cheers. Cheers. And. Welcome to I Know the Owner. A podcast where bar people talk bar stuff. I'm Charlene Wellington. I'm your host and the owner, and I'm here with my friend David Moo. Hello. And he is from Quarter Bar and Long Island Bar. I also work at Long Island Bar. Yeah. As an employee. As an employee and <laughs> owner of Quarter Bar. I'm the owner. Welcome. Of Good to see you. And you as well. Yeah. We um we're friends. Um, That's true. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, right? Right? We, we're friends, right? We are. Yeah. Absolutely. We go to exotic <laughs> we, foreign weddings together. Yes, exactly. Um, we, I feel like I knew of you for years and like everybody assumed that we were friends. For, for like 10, 15 years. And that's the same for you as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, we had met briefly in a couple of different, con- like at Commonwealth at some point, mm-hmm. like whatever it was yeah. anyway. But the number one association, of course, is, the, is, your, is that um, you have this weird doppelganger relationship with one of my old bosses. So... Julia oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, and I have to, I have to get her on here. Indeed, um, one of these days. Yes, people she, often. She's not technically us. an owner anymore, but you should. I, it's yeah. okay. It's it's loose. Yeah, it's loose. Um, and people mistake us for each other. Yes, all the totally. time. People have like come up to me and hugged me, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And they're like, ah, oh, I thought you were Julie. Well, you are super similar, <laughs> and it's not just that you look a lot alike. I mean, because I know you both and know her mm-hmm. very, very well, uh-huh. I would never actually mistake you, but. It's definitely sort of like, uh, oh, right. Um, but also you uh, you have similar accents and uh, something yeah. about the attack of your voice and like whatever. So there's... And I think like she's friends with some of my stepsisters. I'm and sure. I have to get to the bottom of that. Know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we officially finally met in England. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yes. <laughs> so we have all these people in common. We have all of these... Um, you know, friends in common, and we met in England at our friend Alfred's wedding. Yeah. Um, Alfred was on the show for our lost episode. We couldn't use it because we did it via Zoom, and it was a bad connection. Oh. But we'll get him. We'll get him back. Right on. And um, so, but I don't know that much about your career, so I'm going to find out okay. now. <laughs> right on. Excellent. So, True reveal. Um, how long have you been in the bar business? Uh, I became a bartender. Mm-hmm. I lied my way behind a like bar. Like most of us. Like most of us. Especially I find, most of us in general, but I think that for young men it's probably m- more common for them to lie to yeah, get their way behind the bar. Sense. I think that, that young women can, can get away with it. kind of be honest and say I've never been behind the bar before and still have somebody in a sexist world put yeah, them behind the yeah, bar because that's, it's that's useful fair. to that's them fair. financially. Um, <laughs> so uh, yes, but in my case, in that traditional way, I lied my way behind a bar uh, in 1997, 1998, okay. so I'm in my 24th or 
something fifth year, 25th year okay. as a bartender, something okay. like I'm that. I'm not going to do the math. I'll yeah, just whatever. take your word for it. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> was it in New York? It was in New York. It was at a rib joint in Soho that it then now no longer exists. So it was called Tennessee Mountain. Okay. And I applied I, for I a job as a, as a server uh-huh. and told them that I would like to be a bartender. And they chuckled and uh-huh. said, like, maybe we'll think about putting you behind the bar someday. But then they hired me as a server. They always chuckle until like somebody quits at the last minute. That's and then exactly they put you right. Is that what? Is it that? Pretty much. That I, I think one. I think the guy who was kind of the unofficial head bartender had a meltdown. Uh-huh. Like had a. I'm sure knowing him probably like an alcohol and cocaine infused mel- uh-huh. <laughs> meltdown, uh-huh. and uh, and then didn't come in to work anymore or something along those lines, and suddenly. The, the whole bar schedule got re-triggered, uh-huh. and then uh, I ended up with... Well, I mean, they, I kind of, to be fair to them and to, and to, and to my development, they, they kind of did it right. Although I ended up kind of like covering some night shifts early mm-hmm. on in order to make up for the emergency. What then soon after that happened is that I got day shifts, which uh-huh. was the right thing for me okay. to, you know, start with. And, yeah, you know. Did you know, that. like, what to do or you just... <laughs> well, <laughs> I read a book... Okay. And I was a bar regular at a couple of places okay. and was always like sort of watching. And that's, of course, all totally meaningless. I mean, mm-hmm. I, was a, I, was, I was about to say what I was a kid. What book did you read? But I wasn't actually that young. I was like 26 or whatever. Okay. Anyway, uh, and uh, I, what I read was um, a book that was at that point called The Harvard Student Agency's Bartending Book, which okay. still exists. It's still okay. in print, but they, it is now called Bartending 101. And if you look inside, it mm-hmm. says published by Harvard Student Agency. Okay. And I wouldn't recommend it for people who are interested in being, for instance, a cocktail bartender. Okay. But it, I think it would be maybe useful to kind of getting the hang of what to do as just like a general bartender, and especially if you were doing home bartending, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I read that book and I memorized the recipes and... Before um, they threw you in or yeah okay. before they threw me in so because I knew that it could happen someday nice and then like um, but I didn't know anything about like uh, actually maybe I think maybe I did I think the book explains how to free pour and then I like got a speed pour and then figured out how to you were to, so far ahead of the game yeah, when so they threw I, like, you in right well except that's that so that's all fine <laughs> and then if I if finally I have happened, somebody working for me that still doesn't know how to free pour right <laughs> so no, it's not you, Kate. Wait, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> you could demonstrate for us right now. And then we wouldn't <laughs> um, we're listening. Um, anyway. Uh, that sounds like an ounce and three quarters. Right, exactly. Um, anyway. But so we say that I was sad, that I seemed super prepared, and indeed, for somebody who had lied, I think I did do a pretty good job of being yeah. prepared for being a liar. But yeah, yeah. that said, um, you know, so I get these day shifts, and I work a couple of early early week night shifts, and then at some point, a couple of months in, mm-hmm. somebody doesn't can't I get I trade or whatever it is, but uh-huh. I take a Friday night. Okay. And I'm the Friday night bartender and I'm like by yourself? Like, and I'm by well, because it was a tiny bar. Okay. So yeah. So I'm by myself back there and you have like eight seats at the bar plus a few at the rail up mm-hmm. opposite the bar and then all of the tickets. Okay. And was um, it a big place? And it was pretty big. It was two story restaurant in a seventeen nineties landmark mm. farmhouse or seventeen forties oh, wow. landmark farmhouse on the corner of Spring and Worcester. That's still there. They can't touch it. It was a croc store for a while and now is something else. I don't know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so point is I get through this night. 
I thought I did okay, but uh-huh. I knew that it probably wasn't great. And it was a Friday night, and definitely there was some, I'm sure there was some eye rolling on the part of the servers. Uh-huh. But we all go to a bar afterwards, as we often did. And the guy who was kind of unofficially the head server, this guy named Jack, mm-hmm. he takes me aside and he like puts his hand on my shoulder and he's like, listen, I have to tell you, you fucking sucked tonight. <laughs> like, it was a fucking nightmare. That's awesome. And if you don't get your shit together, <laughs> I will guarantee that you don't keep working behind that bar. And he wasn't Whoa. a bartender, but he was basically like essentially saying like, you, figure, like, you, you, like, you fucking up. figure it out. And I like basically, I think like tears welled up in my eyes. Yeah, I, just felt, I felt like holy shit! Like I've totally like you let thought down you, the side. you at least I, pulled it off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. But sure enough, like that was the kick in the ass that I needed to figure out how to be that kind of bartender. So, for what a few did you years. do? How did you figure it out? I I don't remember. It was like twenty, <laughs> you know, it's like twenty four years ago now, or uh-huh. whatever it is. But uh, I I guess I just kind of stepped it up. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, I, maybe. Just, I just like got, I just, I think I just made myself get faster. Okay. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, I don't know. Probably like read all the recipes. And, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it was a matter yeah. of that. I think it was just a matter of just like paying attention to the tickets more and knowing mm-hmm. what the feeling, learning to understand the rhythm of the night in my bones in that way that you do yeah. when you've been doing this. And like, yeah. I'm sure who knows what I had been doing. I have no memory, but Knowing me, I might have been chatting with the people at the bar when yeah. there were tickets. You know, I or just no, walking regular well, speed or walking regular speed, speed instead of bartender speed. Yeah, exactly. that's one of those things that, like, until you know it, you don't know it. Um, that's so funny. So, I had yeah. um, one of my first experiences that kind of shaped my bartending was I had like a bar full of old guys, and I was 18 in a day, and I had day shift, bar full of old guys, and I'm like standing in the corner I wasn't looking at my phone because there were no phones there but I'm just kind of like standing in the corner doing nothing or maybe like I was reading a newspaper I don't know and the owner came over to me and he was like you go over there and you talk to every single one of these old motherfuckers or you're fired and I was like oh shit he was like figure out something to talk to him about right totally. and I was like uh okay and then that's when I learned that like that's part of bartending of you course have to, absolutely like, do the thing so how long did you hey stay guys, at that? Hey guys, you live in the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, I mean, he's like, if you want to like read the paper and ask them, you know, something about the news. Whatever like, it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. Doesn't matter. And he was like, but you go fucking talk to them. That's why they're I'm here. Sure, there's probably a television, right? So you could have talked about sports or I don't or know whatever. if there was a no. television. I don't remember if there was a television. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. You got to find out. Um, um, sorry, yeah. what was your question? What was the net? What I was my next move? I don't remember. So, how long were you at the barbecue place? Oh, um, two and change years. And um, then, what made you leave? Well, Did you get fired? No. I like asking people if they got fired. No, it's, I've never been fired from. A, I've never been fired from never a, been from fired. a service job. I've been fired in my life. The last mm-hmm. time I was fired was when I was like nineteen, and I was in a retail job. Okay. Um, but uh, no, I, I've never, I've quit. I've sort of, I've spectacularly quit. Um, I want to hear that story. <laughs> I've spectacularly quit a, like one or two service jobs. Um, what was your most spectacular quitting? Well. <laughs> you don't have to name the place yeah. if you don't want to. <laughs> there was one job when I was, a, I was a server at one restaurant uh-huh. and... I was sleeping with the manager. Okay. And then I left that job under reasonable circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the following year, that manager got a job as the GM of a different restaurant. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. 
And I took that job. At, uh, she she called me up and asked me to be the head waiter at, at this other restaurant. Okay. And so I was like, okay, sure, I'll take this job. But I refused to sleep with her anymore. Okay. And so it made our... It seems it ma- reasonable. It, sure. And so, <laughs> uh, and so it made for just like a really like toxic work environment for that whole summer or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Uh, that it was those few months that I worked there and one day I became totally fed up with the situation with like uh-huh. there was everything about it was like my relationship with her was toxic her relationship with all the other staff was toxic mm. her my, my relationship with the other servers was also toxic their relationships with each other there was somebody who was stealing tips there's all these just different things I'm glad I had that job because one of my best friends to this day is somebody that I met at that restaurant mm. but all that aside one day I did the thing that as an owner I would now be like completely horrified for and that would get you blackballed in the industry uh-huh. which is that I just like I think I went in one day and wrote her a note and then just like tape I have no idea what I did with it but I just I left a note basically it was uh, just like I don't wor- I'm not working here anymore You so you went all the way in and then you wrote it down and taped it and then left Yeah so whatever however it is that I left it yeah. I left her a note basically saying like I'm not working for you anymore But you came all the way in to leave the note like you didn't call. No. Yeah, I came in and left the note. I don't okay. know why I did that. I, I probably had other business in Manhattan. Yeah. So I was probably rehearsing a play at the time. Or maybe or, you were going to tell her to her face and she wasn't there. Maybe. I don't remember. And you were like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to write the fuck out yeah, of this note. Exactly. This is a long, this is like. And it just said, I quit, fuck you. Something like that. All yeah. right. All right. And then. Is that right? Yeah, that was my last service job before I then stopped for a couple of years. So that must have been like 1995. Okay. And then, I, and then like I stopped working in service for a couple of years. And then in 1997 or whatever, I got that job at Tennessee Mountain and lied my way behind the bar. Oh, okay. Anyway. So you were serving and then, so you knew a little bit about the business before you became yeah. a bartender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like worked your way up. I'm surprised you didn't go from server to bartender in like a place where you were already, well, I guess you did in that other place. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, what, what am I talking about? So, all right. So you worked at Tennessee. I worked at Tennessee Mountain until mm-hmm. New Year's Eve. No, well, until December of 1999. Okay. And a few things happened at that point. One, I wanted to leave Tennessee Mountain, but not because of any. It wasn't horrible. It was Picture just like, it. Whatever. We all thought the world was going to end. Right. That's true. It was all Y2K <laughs> happening right then. It really is true. Like, yeah, really yeah. I remember that New thing. Year's. Also, my my girlfriend at the time was living in she, she was living in Pennsylvania in Gettysburg, doing a mm-hmm. fellowship at Gettysburg College, and uh, and so there's a lot of back and forth going to Pennsylvania and her coming here and whatever. Anyway, also I was working on this play, mm-hmm. and on writing this play, not rehearsing a play, and uh, so. This guy, how did I know that guy? I think that there's this guy that I knew from from a play that I had been in Uh who was a server also somewhere else, and he landed himself a gig as the kind of manager of the New Year's Eve, the private New Year's Eve party of a very, very wealthy, like, Texas oil family who own a full-on... And I don't know whether all of your listeners mm. are going to know what we're talking about, but you as a Brooklyn person are going to immediately understand the gravity of this. These people lived in a full-on late 1900s, sorry, late 1800s or whatever year, 1800s, full-on, full 
multi-story townhouse on Skimmerhorn Street. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or on whatever the street is. No, wait, maybe not Skimmerhorn. But anyway, whatever street it is that actually looks out where their back windows look on, out onto the promenade. Okay. What is that? Oh, no, that's not Skimmerhorn. No, it's not Skimmerhorn. It's not Pineapple. We gotta but anyway, ask whatever that street is, <laughs> uh-huh. like we're talking about, okay. like, like mega rich people with mega views. Mm-hmm. And if you remember New Year's Eve 1999, there were fireworks over the Brooklyn Bridge. Yes. And so, yes. Um, so he got us this gig where mm-hmm. he was um, promising to pay us uh-huh. um, more than I had ever been paid in one night of work ever. Okay. And in fact, more than I was ever to be paid in one night of work as a bartender or ever. as a, uh, or as in service period for many years mm-hmm. to come after that. I have since, okay. but it's even to this right. day, it would be very rare for me to make that yes. much money in one night. Um, but at, in 1999, 2000, it was enough money that I decided, A, I can quit my job at Tennessee Mountain. B, wow. I can pay my January rent. C, I can have enough money to get myself into February. And, wow. Um, and therefore, I am going to quit my job, leave mm-hmm. New York, go to Pennsylvania, uh-huh. live like you know in my girlfriend's apartment, while she's working, I'm going to write this play that I'm working on. So you just moved out? No, I left. I mean, I just I just left for a month. Okay. Basically. Okay. And so I just went left for one month. But what made this psychologically possible is that in this in the month of December, mm-hmm. I had received a, a sort of handshake agreement from uh-huh. the bar manager of a, of Tonic, which is a, a music venue in the okay. Lower East Side, that he would hire me in late January. Okay. And I, I vaguely remember Tonic. Yeah. So that's what I did. I left for a month and, and you wrote, wrote this the play? play. How'd the play go? I, I mean, it was great. I, <laughs> I really did finish the play. I okay. finished a first draft of that play in that month. Wow. And then I came back and, and then like on like February 1st or whatever it was, I went and started working at Tonic where I worked for like the next like six and a half years. And tell me about Tonic. Tonic is an out music venue, like a like avant music venue, mm-hmm. um, noise, avant-garde jazz, experimental music, mm-hmm. electronic music, um, what would later come to be called various kinds of EDM, um, mm-hmm. minimal techno, um, some kind of drum and bass stuff. There were two floors. There's the main club upstairs, and then there was the subtonic lounge, mm-hmm. um, which had more of the kind of like more of a DJ and dance scene going on. Uh, yeah, so that was it. So uh, you know, of course, all financially backed oh, by it all worked by out the bar. For you. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, well, yeah, sort of. I mean, it was kind of a nightmare. It was not yeah. a particularly well-run club, but it was a fascinating mm-hmm. place that was doing something that basically wasn't really being done anywhere else in the world at that time. So, uh, yeah, I learned a lot about weird music that okay. I didn't necessarily like, but that I have came to know a lot about. Mm-hmm. And also found myself liking lots of music that I previously hadn't known about. And, uh, yeah. And as far as the bartending aspect of it goes, we there were... Uh, you know, it was all plastic cups and bottled oh, wow. beer, and I... we would fill the room, and then we would 
the set would end and we would empty the room, sweep up, reset, and then fill the room again, you know. That sounds fun. It was kind of Because you don't ever have to, like, really get into it with people. Oh, I never like, talk to people at oh, all. Oh, wow. No. In <laughs> fact, I would show up. I would show up to work and mm-hmm. the, the bar manager would say, David, we have to have a meeting in the liquor room right now. And, and then I he did shots. No, and then we oh. would, then we would, then we would smoke a bowl. <laughs> okay. And so we would go. I'm down. like I'm like I know that means you're gonna do something right. fun, right? So we would go down to the liquor room and smoke weed, <laughs> and then like totally stoned, I would work my shifts at that bar oh, wow. all, the t- all the time. I don't not think I like work every stoned. single shift, but like but like it would happen often. And for that kind of bartending, I was completely fine doing it. But cocktail bartending mm-hmm. there's no way that I could be I can't even be intoxicated like I can't even be tipsy like, let alone stoned wow like, completely when did you get into t- cocktail bartending so while I worked at Tonic mm-hmm. Sasha Petrasky opened Milk and Honey right around the corner and and I just want you to know that I've been in this business a very long time. I know nothing about cocktail bars. Okay, right. So if you say a name and I'm not like, oh, because I just, I, I repel that style no, totally. of bartending. Absolutely. I'm, I don't think it's wrong for existing. I think it, it's like awesome. No, and I mean, these are, they're, they're all different kinds of bars in the world and we have is. to have all different kinds of yeah. bars and not even just because there's different kinds of people, but because the same person might want to sit at a beer they and a shop bar one different. night and they might want to go and yeah, have a yeah, carefully right. made and boulevardier the next night, you know, like and, whatever it is. And like, I love a delicious cocktail sure. that was lovingly crafted Absolutely. by somebody who's like a cocktail chef. But also, um. you know, <laughs> uh, I drink straight liquor on the rocks and beer yeah. As uh, you know, yeah, that's, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So there it is. So at the um, so at the same time, uh, say the, say the name right. again. <laughs> so Sasha, people people who know about bartending are going to be like, oh my god, so I Sasha can't believe Petrasky's, this bitch doesn't know what she's talking about. He's he's the he was the owner of Milk and Honey, and he's okay. he's credited as one of the progenitors of the cocktail revival. Okay. Right? He's not the only one, but he's one of the people who's who's credited as the progenitors of the cocktail revival okay. around the world. Right? Gotcha. So there's there you know there's a couple people in London, there's a couple people in New York, mm-hmm. um, uh, there's a couple people in Japan, um, there's a couple people in San Francisco. Now somebody's gonna listen to this and get angry that I'm not. I know. That I'm not name checking their, their did you, cities. Did but. you realize you were gonna be in a like cocktailing 101 podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, so. He's super important to the to the mm-hmm. revival of this thing, and he was a, he was an odd guy who died young just a few years ago, which okay. is why I'm using past tense verbs. And um, um, he was very intense and very very dedicated to being old school and originalist okay. in his approach to cocktails, and he had haunted bookstores, like used bookstores for years, mm-hmm. looking for all of these old books, which now I might name some of them, and and some of the cocktail geeks out there will be like, yeah, of course. But uh, at the time, no one had ever heard of these things. Gotcha. Um, even something that now seems as basic as the Savoy cocktail mm-hmm. book, like, you know, back you know in the year 2000, it's like, I'm sorry, the what, now what? Uh-huh. Um, he'd be like, yeah, well, I found, it, I found a 1940 copy, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still looking for something, like an older version, you know, like whatever, mm-hmm. that was his thing. So he would read these books and he uh-huh. would try out the recipes. Okay. And then 
Some of them he would be like, yeah, that's not something I'm really interested in making. But lots of them, he was reviving these old recipes. Mm -hmm. as, he wasn't the only one doing this. There's yeah. other people who were doing this at, at exactly the same time. But, um, but that was the deal. So, uh, and then all of the other things that came with it, he was always where he wore like, you know, uh, high-waisted pants mm -hmm. and suspenders. Garters and, you know, on his arms. Yeah, arm garters and, um, you know, and his kind of swept back haircut mm -hmm. and... Um, uh, you know, if you saw him out of the bar, he would have on like really carefully appointed fedoras and but no hat behind the bar. And, like, no hat, but not only that, but also there's a rule. There was milk and honey famously had mm -hmm. rules, um, which are now, which are kind of legendary now. Mm -hmm. Is like um, uh, hats may not be men may not wear hats. Hooks are provided. Uh -huh. uh, women were allowed to wear hats. You know, mm -hmm. it's very old school, right? Yeah, so yeah. men or men may not wear hats. Hooks are provided. Um, no, no, no fighting, play fighting, or talking about fighting. Okay. Um, I like that rule. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, um, the most famous rule, of course, is um, is uh, a gentleman may not approach a, a woman without um, a without an without either an invitation or an introduction from the bartender. Um, and but once but once a woman has given her permission to be approached, mm -hmm. she may not rescind it. I mean, it was just like that okay. was kind of the idea. Like I, to, I to like these rules. Sure. <laughs> it, 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 the idea was that he was trying to create a like a carefully controlled environment mm -hmm. for people to genteely and and uh, quietly enjoy themselves. Okay. Right? Anyway, so we would finish our shifts at Tonic, uh -huh. and we would go around the corner uh -huh. and drink. Fancy, fancy cocktails mm -hmm. uh, for ten dollars a piece, which at the time was, was a, a, lot. a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> um, and um, yeah, so we would go, we would do that, and we would talk to him about cocktails because all of us mm -hmm. were bartenders, but we, you know, we knew you what were we like knew, gin and but tonic, like, you know, whatever. We might have even known something about yeah. some other things, exactly. Yeah. Um, but like, he, this is somebody who's we had become this mm -hmm. kind of encyclopedia of knowledge, and and not only of the recipes, but also just like the entire style of what was going mm -hmm. on, things that still are leaving their mark on our business. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so yeah, that was that's the story, and he would talk to us about. He was very careful about, which of course he was very careful about the music that he was playing in there. Mm -hmm. And we were all music heads and we're constantly training yeah. music, and we all knew like a. Especially that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> so we would make him these mixtapes or uh -huh. mix CDs, and um, or we would make him CD. We would burn CDs of various bits of jazz or mm -hmm. Latin music or Brazilian music or whatever that was appropriate to his sort of low-key vibe going on in there. Uh -huh. And he, in turn, would kind of tell us about cocktails and uh, and let us in late at night and, you know, all that these sounds like things. a little bit of a modern Algonquin round table. Like, yeah, like I mean, sort of, like, a little bit, but, uh, yeah. Um, we never became, like, part of his inner circle. We were just kind uh -huh. of, like, regulars that he liked uh -huh. And that were kind of interested, um, but I never worked for him. I mm. just became interested through uh -huh. him, and started acquiring some of the books that he would talk about, and started reading some of these things. And that was the beginning of me becoming a cocktail bartender. But I wasn't actually a cocktail bartender. I was mm. that was just sort of like me becoming interested in knowing more about cocktails in the context of being a bartender in a larger way. Cool. I wasn't allowed to make cocktails until a few years after that. When were you first allowed to make cocktails? <laughs> <laughs> Who let you? 
So I worked at Last Exit uh-huh. after that. Uh, um, yeah, I got a job at Last Exit, um, and that was my first time working in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And then there was a regular at Last Exit, this guy named Noah, who's a native Brooklynite. Mm-hmm. You might know. Yeah. I don't think I know this Noah. This guy named Noah Shalansky. Anyway, he's a lawyer now. Okay. <laughs> and he worked at West, which is a Tom Valenti restaurant on the Upper West Side. Okay. And he was leaving because he was graduating from law school and he was going to be done with his bartending job. Mm-hmm. And he he and I had become friendly and he was like, you know what? Just your scene in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you clearly like some, you like making cocktails, even though, you know, like you're still learning about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but also you're just like, I can see just, he just like my vibe as a bartender. I don't want to sort of give, I don't want to put adjectives in his uh-huh. mouth about me anyway. So, <laughs> um, and so he was like, I'm going to try to get you my job. And that's what happened. He got that's me his awesome. job working in, in this like kind of high-end restaurant on the Upper West Side. And one of the cool things about that job is that not only did we suddenly have much nicer liquor mm-hmm. um, and a mandate to make lots of cocktails. So just to be clear, you're saying the liquor at last exit was shit. <laughs> <laughs> There was some. Well, you fine got. Liquor. You heard it. You there guys was, heard it. True. There was some fine. Um, if you're you listening, Julie, <laughs> uh, and if you're listening, Joe, uh, yes, the liquor at last exit was fine, but 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 there was some stuff that was really really nice mm. up at West. Um, and in addition to that, like yeah, the, and the customers were mm. like, we made a ton of martinis and we made uh. a lot of Manhattans and we made you know so we were making lots of classic cocktails, uh-huh. especially the kind of most common ones. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a cocktail menu, and so we mm. were sort of experimenting a little bit with like making stuff. That was up. back before every single place had to had have a cocktail, cocktail menu. menu. Exactly. Um, but in the, the most importantly. Um, well, no, there's two things that are bad or were important. I was suddenly working with a staff of people who were interested in cocktails, and so we mm-hmm. would talk to each other about it. Mm-hmm. That was one thing. As I did with my co workers at Tonic, but suddenly uh-huh. I was with people who knew more about it. Um, we would talk about books that we were reading and mm-hmm. trade stuff, but equally important, we had 100% access to the kitchen. Uh, and so we would come so up with like an idea and be like, things. oh, yeah, like. I want to make a thing using rosemary. Hey, is there any rosemary? Hey, mm-hmm. kitchen, is there any rosemary back there that we could have? That, could I borrow a couple of sprigs of rosemary? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. You know, or mint, basil, uh, uh-huh. or whatever it was. Um, you know, can you cook down this syrup for us? Can you let, you know, oh, whatever. that's awesome. So we would. So all of a sudden, it's not two separate entities anymore. Right. So it's we could sort of start doing stuff. And that's when I started actually. That was in like 2000 or 2006 or whatever. I definitely rejected the idea of a cocktail menu in every bar, which now every single every single bar has a cocktail menu unless like unless it's one of those bars that still smell like cigarette smoke. Right. There is a cocktail menu and I would people would come into whatever neighborhood bar I worked at and be like, "Can I see your cocktail menu?" and I'm like, "Fuck you." Yeah. <laughs> like like just don't you know what you want to drink? Just I order mean, that. Even to this day when I'm at a bar mm-hmm. that doesn't need a cocktail menu, but that has one. And that's in fact, lots and lots and lots of bars. I'm just sort of like, why are you, why? I mean, partly I understand the market is such that you kind of have to, because people ask what's, what's on your cocktail menu. You have to, because wherever you are, people will ask. Um, Um, but it seems like when it's an afterthought, 
it's better if you just don't bother. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Are you saying my cocktail menu is an afterthought? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My, my cocktail menu is not an afterthought. All Excellent. of our ingredients are fresh, even nice. though they're not fancy. <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, that's actually, like, to be honest, Like I our think... Kentucky lemonade, for example, which is homemade lemonade. Lovely. <laughs> and whiskey. I, I kind of honestly think that most cocktail menus, including in like proper cocktail bars, mm-hmm. should probably mostly consist of what we call like the standard kit, like the the bottles that come from the from the distributor. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, obviously, there's a couple syrups you have to make to do to run a bar, yeah. but uh, but for the most part, the things that are going to be the easiest to do are things that are made of the things that you already have. Yeah, you know? so, definitely. Anyway. Um, so you're at West, you're so getting West. into cocktailing, yeah. and then what happened? Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I mean, how did I open Quarter Bar? Because that's where we are now. Yeah, yeah. I was working at Last Exit one night, uh-huh. and I was talking to Joe Heron. Um, yeah. Okay. Thirsty. <laughs> Can I have a um, Espolone and soda? Would you like another? I'll have another. Mezcal Rocks? Yes, please. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Are you in a shortcut? What? No, it's all boy. So, so I was, was working... you and Joe from Last Exit. Right. I was working at Last Exit one night, and Joe Heron was, was, came in, and I was talking to him about Linnell's, which was a... A liquor store, like a weird liquor store in Red Hook for a okay. few years. I'm like, the name sounds familiar, but I, I, yeah. I don't think I know it. It was run by this kind of odd and slightly mad woman named Linnell. Okay. And um, who was kind of a genius of, of, a, of a certain set okay. of things. Whiskey, especially. She's okay. A, she, she is, to this day, whiskey I believe, genius. still a kind of a whiskey genius. She, um, she left New York eventually, and I don't know where she is now. She went to Mexico for a few years, and now is... I would imagine also a mezcal genius. Back, I, <laughs> I would imagine she's. No, I think she went to like open like an air, like a like a, a bed and breakfast okay. or a hotel or something, and then that didn't work out. So she came back to the U.S. And I, if I'm not mistaken, she may be back in the South where she's from. I think she might be from Alabama, maybe. Okay. Anyway, I can't argue with you on any of those facts. Doesn't matter. Point is, <laughs> she was a little weird, and she ran this kind of mad liquor store, which which was all it was. You've seen them now. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. been into like a highly curated liquor store, yes. which didn't used to exist. Yes. But like now, I'm sure you've yeah. been to a highly curated. I, well, this is one of the first. Like, Mezcal, like, like thank you so much. Um, it's a trade. Uh, of course, this is one of those, those the first, the first of that ilk, like the the highly curated liquor store. Mm-hmm. Um, and like illegally, for instance, she, in addition to her highly curated liquor selection, she sold bitters. Okay. Which, for those of you listening who don't know, is actually theoretically Cannot. illegal to sell in liquor stores. At least in New York. At least in the, in the state yeah. of New York. You're not allowed to sell bitters in liquor stores because bitters are grocery items. Yes. As part so of this, like, prohibition thing about still being able to sell bitters and therefore reclassifying them as grocery, even though they contain an enormous amount of alcohol. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, so. Ooh, she gave me mezcal. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, I hope you also got mezcal and you didn't get and tequila. Not tequila. I'll, actually, I would be fine with tequila. Okay. Too, so. Nope, that's mezcal. All right, we both got um, mezcal. <laughs> so, um, so she sold bitters. So she sold bitters and uh, and all these 
liquors that you'd never heard of or, or expressions of whiskeys that you had heard of but you'd never heard of that particular expression, mm-hmm. you know, like whatever. Um, and Amari that were hard to find uh-huh. and like all these different things. Did anyway. she have like a secret cabinet? She had a cabinet of... <laughs> of bottles that were open and she would sometimes make drinks in there, which oh. also she's not supposed yeah. to be doing. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, um, but it was it was kind of an amazing place. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of well-known bartenders who worked there as uh, as retail staff, okay. while, you know, while it was open and um, et cetera. Anyway, um, so I was working at Last Exit one day and I was, and Joe Heron came in, and he was, he was asking me about, we were just, I have no idea how we got onto the subject, but I was talking about Linnell's. And okay. I was just sort of like, yeah, I went to Linnell's, I, I'm just like figuring out this thing, I, you know, I was like, and I would sometimes, you know, I was working at West at the time, so mm-hmm. I was, you know. So you were working at West and? And at Last Exit. Last Exit. Yeah, and I had, by that point, uh, I had quit my job at Tonic. Okay. Um, was there a time where you were at all three? No. Okay. I, I, I think I, maybe there might have been like literally a few weeks mm-hmm. when I was at all three and then I like, I quit the, once I was like realized I was going to keep the job mm-hmm. at West, I quit my job at Tonic. Um, and I think And you partly, were living in Brooklyn the whole time? I was, I've lived in Brooklyn, I have lived in Brooklyn the whole time. Okay. I've lived in Brooklyn for like 27 years now Okay. Um, where, where are you from? Where'd I'm from Boston. Up? Boston. But I moved here in... I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <There's> no, <laughs> I mean, my, my partner's from Boston. Well, Massachusetts, not um, Boston proper. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I moved here in December of 1993. Anyway, so... <laughs> so I'm talking to Joe, and I and I mentioned that I've been, that I'm like, it was at Linnell's, and he's like, oh yeah, that's weird, and she's weird, and... She has all this interesting stuff, and we're talking about bitters, and we're talking about her like fascinating but highly idiosyncratic liquor collection, uh-huh. and like all these different things, um, which is why it was important to tell you all of that for the, those of you who slogged through this <laughs> entire story. Um, and uh, and Joe says, I've been thinking of opening up like a cocktail bar, like something more cocktail like. For those <laughs> Good of you, accent. Who, yes. <laughs> Joe Heron is from Ireland. <laughs> Those of you who don't know who I'm talking about, um, and and I was like, really, that's cool. I'd be mm. interested, maybe in uh, in being part of a cocktail bar. Like uh-huh. I'm, I'm uh, you know, like not only am I interested maybe in owning a bar, but like I would be interested in like a cocktail mm-hmm. kind of a cocktaily bar. To which Joe Heron narrowed his eyes, and any of you who are listening who know him, uh, which I imagine might be a few of you, um, he narrowed his eyes at me, and just jutted his chin forward, and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, why? What the fuck do you know about it? You know, <laughs> do you know how to write a business plan? Do you have any money? <laughs> To which I like, I like, you know, he'd been my boss for a few years at that uh-huh. point. So I like sort of raised my eyebrows and shrugged, and I was like, "Well, actually, I do know how to write a business plan, and <laughs> I have access to a little bit of money." Uh-huh. And so, and then, and then he kind of like opened his oh. eyes again, and he was like, "Oh, really? All right. Well, I'm doing some work in the place uh, next week. Come by on Tuesday." <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> and so 
I was like, uh, okay. And so then, like, the following week, I, like, you know, went down to this empty... Did he already have the space? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, that like, was had in, a like, space and didn't know what he was going to do with Joe it? Heron, that's Joe okay. Heron's kind of scene. All right. Yeah, he, like... Uh, yeah, there's a whole story there, which is... This is now, you know, this would be a third-hand story, but, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe was in, like, you know, that late that summer or something, the, some previous summer, he was in Ireland and he saw some place in Ireland that was called like a, it was like Cozy's something or something. Uh-huh. And he had occurred to him, he's like, oh, that reminds me, there's that bar in like the South Slope that's called Cozy Lounge. I bet it's probably not doing so well. I'm gonna uh, this. I'm gonna put that in my mind to check on it when I get back to, to okay. the United States. And a few weeks later, he came back and drove by and and found out that Cozy Lounge was closed and that there was a for rent sign up. And wow! So he, so he felt that this was like a sign. Yeah, and yeah. So he uh, he contacted the landlord and looked around and signed the lease and then was like, okay, what am and this now is what? this is the Joe Heron way. He's like, now what will I do with it? And wow! And so started kind of like building something but wasn't exactly sure what something was going to be and then had this conversation with me about uh-huh. how like you know he was thinking about a cocktail bar and I was like yeah well let's have a, let's let's open a cocktail bar and I went and looked at the space and I was like yeah let's do it that's um, amazing and then over the over the course of the ensuing months we signed some paperwork and uh-huh. uh, and, that and then was, the following what, like June 12 we years ago no 14 years 14 ago. okay yeah. For almost yeah, almost, it'll be 14 years in June. Had he already had the name picked out? No, no, okay. that was me. That was you? Is there a significance? Or? Uh, we argued for months about what we were going to yeah. call it. Um, and we came really close to calling it Shabin. Shabin? <laughs> yeah, and the reason that we came close to calling that is that, uh, to calling it that, is that um, Shabin is an Irish word for, like, um, for like a speakeasy. Okay. Interesting. But it's also a word that they use in Jamaica for mm-hmm. like a neighborhood bar. Oh. Which is not a coincidence, obviously. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, um, Jamaican, the Jamaican dialect of English is heavily influenced by, uh, you know. Gaelic. Um, well, no, just by Irish sailors and okay. Irish and Scottish um, and, uh, you know, and English sailors. And so mm-hmm. like there's all, so you have these like uh, working class sectors of the English language. That, I didn't that know are, that, that but now that the, you said it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, and a lot of also like Shakespearean era English is part of the, the makings of, of Jamaican patois. Anyway. Okay. I'm learning um, so much. For those of you who are listening <laughs> who are wondering what, what that has to do with it, I am Jamaican partly. And I didn't so, know that either. And so Joe Heron, he was just like, well, it's this word that has meaning for both Ireland and Jamaica. I think, uh-huh. that, you know, and I was like, well, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, you tell an interesting story, Joe Heron, but who wants to go to a bar called Shabin? I mean, what does that even uh-huh. mean? You know, whatever. Subsequently, there was, in fact, for a short while, a bar in, like, Nolita or something that was, in that fact, was called, called Shabin. Shabin. I don't know. I'm sure it's not there anymore. Um, part, probably because what a terrible name for a bar. Um, so I was always looking for something else and was never finding anything. Mm-hmm. And the generation of the name of the bar is that one night after we finished work at West, uh-huh. we got into cabs and went downtown, as we often did. Uh-huh. And we went to, we would go to different bars downtown. 
And on this particular night, we went to Little Branch, which was another Sasha Petrasky bar. Okay. And um, we were sitting at Little Branch having cocktails at two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, guys, listen, my business partner, he wants to use, he wants us to use this terrible name for the bar, but I need to come up with something better and I don't have a lot of time. Uh-huh. So tonight, we're going to nail a name for my bar. And if you guys, if we come up with something that I like, I'll buy all the drinks. Nice. And so I was like, here's the parameters. And I just gave them <laughs> seeds that they should work off of. It's like it's at Fifth Avenue and 20th Street. It's in, it's in Park Slope or the South Slope. Um, it's near Greenwood Cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's, I have no idea. I mean, same, this is a long the time same ago. thing from when we were trying to name minis yes, or exactly. here or That's right. We're all, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing that we all use. Same, same brainstorming mm-hmm. methodology we all use to come up with our bar names. So I said all these things to them. And then the people that I was with just started throwing out things that they mm-hmm. that were generated by that. And off of it being at 5 and 20, 5th Avenue and 20th Quarter Street, bar. at some yes. point somebody said quarter, and I like slammed my hand Done. on the bar, and I, or on the table that we were sitting on. I was like, that's it. And then you bought all the and drinks. I bought all the drinks. <laughs> we had um, a weekend... When we were building Hinterlands, we had a weekend where we went to a lake house with a bunch of friends, and we hadn't come up with a name yet, and people, like the whole weekend, people just kept shouting words out at us, Um, you know, like, it's on Church Avenue, it's in Kensington, it's, you know, Stuart and Charlene's, there's like a Dungeons and Dragons thing going on, and people kept shouting words at us, and then by like the second day... Stuart was getting so annoyed <laughs> by everybody just shouting words at us the totally. whole weekend. And it was so frustrating because they were all so wrong. Like, everything everybody said was so off base and weird. Long and like they were whole phrases or sentences? No, no, just wrong. Oh, just wrong, not wrong, right. wrong, so wrong. Got just, yeah. um, I don't remember what any of them were, but, like, nothing was l- said, like, this is a neighborhood bar. You know, they were just, like, weird like um, Game of Thrones references, right. weird, you know, token references, and um, and it, like it never stopped. It just like like there would be quiet, and then somebody would shout out, you know, like oh, I can't even think of anything because they were so bad, like smog or something, you right. know, like no or you know Wellington Zone or whatever, whatever it was, and it was like ah. And Stuart was like, shut up, everybody. No more. We're not playing this game anymore. <laughs> but naming the bars has always been a thorn. Totally. <laughs> so Quarter Bar opened 14 years ago, and now you're a millionaire? I don't own a brownstone. <laughs> not, not yet. And then... That is, and then, that's, but, the, that's the metric that we all use as to whether or not we're successful. Mm-hmm. Whether we own a brownstone. I do not own a brownstone. I do not own a brownstone either, no. or any stone. No, exactly. <laughs> I do not own, stone. I rent. I also and, rent. And so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I do okay, but I'm, uh, but again, you know, I own no real estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. And you, you also work at Long Island Bar. And I work at Long Island Bar. How's that going? What's that like? You mean these days or in general? I don't know. Uh, I mean, we should start talk. We should talk a little bit about these days. How are these days going? At Long Island Bar, they're going pretty well. At Long Island Bar, yeah. how are they going at Quarter Bar? They're going. Uh, they're going okay. Okay. They're going okay. This last. This. I feel like these last couple of weeks have been better. Better. Yeah. So. So a little like I never talk finances because it's gross. A little peek behind the curtain. Out of the past fifty-two weeks. 
the the owners of Hinterlands have been paid four times out of the last 52 weeks. Two of those times were the last two weeks. The last two weeks. Yeah. So that's uh yeah. <laughs> um that makes sense. Yeah. My the my business bank account would also reflect something along those lines. Yeah. Uh um I, pay, I am the manager in addition to being the owner, and so mm-hmm. I pay myself my weekly manager, oh, that's my, nice. my pittance of a yeah, weekly manager yeah. salary. Um, and it, it is a pittance, but it's uh, but still, you know, every dollar counts. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's of helpful, course. it's helpful to me. There have been a couple of weeks over the course of the last year, I would say a handful, mm-hmm. where I have foregone my manager salary because mm-hmm. the bar just needed the... Yeah. Even though we're t- only talking about a tiny amount of money, the bar even needed that tiny yeah, amount yeah, of money. Yeah, yeah, um, So, but yeah, yeah, I will say that that's true. Like in the last two to four weeks is when I've started to think like, oh, maybe, uh, maybe I, sh- I could, maybe the bar could start paying for my health insurance again, mm, which it yes. has not done in some time now. Yeah. Uh, so wow. there's things like that. Um, so yeah, it's kind of things are being maybe beginning to look a little bit better. I'm gonna knock on, knock on this, yeah. which is actual wood. Um, let's see what where are we going? All right, uh, what else? What else are we gonna talk about? Um, we got Long Island Bar. We got our our history. Yeah. Um, I have a segment um, where I read a letter okay. from a listener. Uh huh. And it's called "You Won't Believe the Fucking Day I Had," uh-huh. and um, I I encourage listeners to write letters to me at I know the owner podcast at gmail.com and tell me a story about your day. And for a while, I had to read "Am I the Assholes" from Reddit because nobody was sending me letters. But somebody sent me a letter. This is actually great because I mean. It's also interesting because you've started this podcast during COVID. Mm -hmm. One of the things that all of us at all levels of the industry miss, um, I shouldn't say levels, but all sort of styles and corners Mm -hmm. of the industry miss, um, is the basic human interaction of listening, listening to, you know, Marty complain about his marriage. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's that's a a basic part of our, it doesn't matter whether you, whether you're, whether you're. You know, uh, pulling Budweiser or more stirring you know. Alaskas or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's the 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 fact is is that the most basic part of your job has nothing to do with what you're putting in exactly. glasses. It has to do with like cleaning stuff and and listening to Marty complain about his marriage. Yes. So and Marty needs to complain about his marriage. Yeah, no, no, to it's someone. absolutely. It's a basic and part of what we're being of what we're here yes. for. And so. I, I feel like the whole fact that they've even now have not really let the bars be bars no. that like, I will, are... I will say that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's true. We should talk more about about, about the current situation. I, I personally don't think that we should have people sitting at the bar um, I, right now. I, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. I tend to agree with that. We, there, there will come a time, yes. and we may not be more than a few months away from it, but I think we are still a few months away from it when I think I, I will think it's okay. But... I don't think it's time yet. We have our tables, you know, on the other side. And we have two tables yeah. where people sit. And when we were allowed to do that, and we can have four people sitting, you know, six feet away from the bar at their tables, and they can kind of yell back and forth. Totally. That was the first time it felt like, ah. Oh, kind of like you're at a we're bar. We're like kind of, 
and right. we can, you know, interact with people. At quarter, we and have plexiglass in front of the bar, so we, so even when people are sitting at that table that's right across from our bar right now, we, it's hard to have a conversation yeah. with them. But yeah. at Long Island Bar, kind of like here at Hinterlands, mm-hmm. um, we have two tables that are just opposite the bar. Yeah. So it is true you that... You can have that little yeah. interaction. And also the, like, let people come order their drinks at the bar and then go sit down. Like, don't make us be waiters. Right. Because that's silly. That's what the plexiglass a quarter is for, is because we're doing that's... it all entirely from the bar like it's a deli, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to read right. this. I'm going to read this letter. And... Um, I, we can, I have my glasses. We can listen quietly and then give, um, yeah, you know, well, then and then give, and then give sage advice actually, that we're that we're not qualified I, to I give, which is, is our job. I think this is going to be you're going to be a good person for this letter. All right. All right. And and I'm I'm not joking. It says, "Hey y'all, first of all, love your bars and love your podcast." See? Indeed, it does it in fact that. say that. Okay. Hey y'all. Um, first of all, love your bars, love your podcast. I had to say that twice. It's not exactly a story of the fucking day I'm having, but it's also not a question about cocktail ingredients. So this is somebody who's clearly been listening. So not exactly an ideal write-in, but hey, not much is happening these days, and I have what has turned into a hot bar problem amongst my friends. There's a bar I absolutely love in Brooklyn. I'll leave the name out because it's not exactly a super flattering story about it. But it's a place where me and a handful of friends are regulars. For about two to three years, a group of buddies of mine used to go every week for karaoke and had a bite and a beer there, at least one day every weekend. So we got to know the staff and the owner quite well. Classic, I know the owner situation. Indeed. (laughs) It got to a place where, even at a crowded bar... One amongst our group of pals could make eye contact with a bartender we knew, and by the time we got a spot at the bar, beer was waiting for us, and we'd just dropped down the cash. So far, I'm liking it. When my fiancé and I um, baked on the weekends, we'd drop off scones and stuff to whomever was working there and bag up one or two for folks we knew were coming in later. Cannot stress enough, love the bar, but mainly because the people there were so, so dope. Sure. <laughs> Once the pandemic hit... And that's what we love about bars, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the most important thing. So. Um, so far, you seem like a good customer. You put your cash down. You make eye, to- eye contact. I'm, I'm liking it. Yeah. <laughs> Once the pandemic hit, the bar's staff got trimmed down. It's a total bummer, but it's nobody's fault. The bar has since opened, since opened back up for partial indoor and full outdoor food and drinks. But the bar staff has been entirely new, save for one bartender. The new staff has been a bit tough to connect with, which is also pretty fair with the whole virus thing and because we don't have the same rapport with these people as folks we knew for years. It was a bummer, but we kept coming for outdoor dining. But we recently found out that the bar owner was hosting some COVID-unsafe events Mm. during the summer and fall. Mm. One of the reasons a lot of the bar staff didn't come back was the unsafe unsafe events being held there and him asking them to work at them or not at all. Needless to say, that fucking sucks. Now that people are getting vaccinated, some of the old bar staff we love is coming back and it's great, but every time I see the owner now, I can't help but think that's the dude who was holding COVID parties and it makes being there less fun. The bar owner's shitty COVID response is making me not enjoy my favorite bar and I'm not sure if I should buck the fuck up (laughs) and get past it or abandon a bar that's meant a lot to me and find a new spot. (laughs) Shorten it if you like. I didn't do that. (laughs) 
But don't make me look like a jerk unless you guys think I'm a jerk. <laughs> or if this isn't up your You're alley. Not a jerk. No need to read it on the show at all. Just happy to write in and say y'all are great. Thanks. Um, so first of all, I don't think you're a jerk. That's why I read that. No, you're part. definitely not a jerk. You're definitely not a jerk. Um, you seem to be a good bar customer. Totally. Um, you know how to order properly by making art, eye contact. The staff seems to like you. So I don't have any problems with you. Yeah, you're clearly like interested in the staff and considerate of the situation. Uh, yeah, you're, you, yeah. You, you, you're, you're welcome anytime, my friend. <laughs> you know, maybe hit the bar on a weeknight. <laughs> and not just the weekends, but, you know, your schedule might not allow it. Right. Um, yeah. oh, but, and this is why I just spilled water on my notes. This is why I have this, like, notebook with Scribble, because I gave a lot of thought to this. But what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, it's, that's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I mean, I, I do not, I am not of one mind. I really, yeah. and I'm sorry. Uh, me neither. Anyone who knows me is gonna is gonna roll their eyes and know like he's never of one fucking mind. So, uh, but I'm not of one mind. So th- there it is. Um, uh, to be honest, fuck that guy. Um, <laughs> not not the writer of the letter, but yes. the owner of this bar. Um, yeah, uh, you know, doing the one thing that we were all definitively not doing, um, or that almost all of us were definitively yeah. not doing. Um, and the people who did, because they were trying to, to, to make money in the middle of the situation, like, I'm sympathetic to your, to your feeling mm-hmm. of panic that your business is failing. Yeah. I, believe me, my friends, mm-hmm. I am totally sympathetic <laughs> to that. But also, the lives of your staff and customers is way more important than yes. any of that. So, and- yeah. So and the more of us that follow the rules, the faster we'll all be on the other side of it. Absolutely. So by by one person, you know, not following the rules, it it ruins it for the rest of us. It's like you're stealing from us. Totally. Basically. One hundred percent. So. And it's all. I mean, of course, we're talking about a large collective of tens of thousands of establishments um, making these individual decisions whether or not to follow the rules. And so, of course, there's that. There's the there's the moral gap that people allow themselves to, or ethical gap that people allow themselves mm-hmm. to fall into, where they're like, well, I mean, one, you know, one piece of litter, or one yeah. like, whatever, does isn't going to matter to the larger picture. But it's like, no, that's actually that's exactly what that's, it, how it works. Yes, especially um, in this case when it's like one event can actually kill hundreds of people. Right. One hundred percent. So, um, but. But on the other side, <laughs> I'm the kind of person that if you heard a rumor that this bar owner was, ho- was holding non-COVID safe events, I would need to know more information right. about what you yeah, heard. Yeah, no, interesting. I, didn't, I had not considered that. I, I took the rumor as, as gospel, but you're yeah. right. No, actually, it's true. So, question the rumor also. Yeah, que- yeah, definitely question the rumor. Qu- question the facts of the rumor. Did somebody just say, oh, I heard they were holding unsafe events or do you know what this event was because even though it shouldn't be everybody does have a different level of what's unsafe um for example my husband and i were wearing these n95 masks that had the two straps and the bottom strap um i did not have it on because it was like too small and choking me but my whole face was covered and we took a picture and people were like you got to put on that bottom strap i'm like all right Relax, people. Every, yeah. Everybody relax. Like, first of all, we had COVID. 
we're not next to anybody else. And like, you don't know anything about the context of this photograph. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so people have different levels and everybody doesn't know everybody else's situation. Also Um, at different points in the pandemic, people's, sensitivity to and and yes. uh, vigilance I guess is the word I'm yes. looking for their vigilance about these things like seeing a photograph of somebody un- imp- improperly masked um, yes. was much more you see that you know if you see that now you're sort of like oh, that dumbass is improperly mm-hmm. masked like whatever but there was a time in like July when you were yes. in, when you would like be red faced angry because somebody was improperly yes <laughs> you know, like, and, and, then- so, and indeed this the, the bar owner that we're talking about, uh, like my feelings about the situation might be a little bit different depending yeah, on the, depending on when on we're talking the about. Yeah, depending on the thing. Um, and then there's the question of, do you sacrifice your love of a bar and staff that you love because you found out the owner's a dick? Because I've been there too. Sure. Like I like a lot, lots of bars in, and the owner's a dick. In this case, <laughs> let's, let's respond to the facts of the case that have as mm. they've been presented to us, which is that okay. we have discovered that in all likelihood that the owner is a dick. Yes. But we have also discovered that the very bartenders that the writer of the letter knows mm. don't work there anymore precisely because yes. the owner was a dick. Yes. Um, but some of them came back. one person. And then some came back after oh, being vaccinated. they did? Yes. Oh. Yes. Mm. So. I see. Okay. Well, then that does, that, that, that complicates it. It does. Some of the beloved <laughs> staff have come back now after yeah. being vaccinated. Now working for for the for the for the uh, dick owner. The dick owner. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, that's complicated. It's very. This is a very complicated it's question. Very complicated I'm glad question. that 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 you were here to answer yeah, it with me. I, you know, man. You know. I think it's honestly. I always tell people when you you know when you when you're when you're figuring out how to become an adult. Mm-hmm. There's a variety of things that you do to like. Be an adult in, the, in in our culture. Yeah. You know? One of the things that you do is you choose a bar. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah. You might have a couple of bars, but you yeah. choose a bar or two as your and those are your bar. Yeah. Right. And and all of us, including the owners, mm-hmm. we all do this. And of, of course, yeah. our bars That's always true. include one of our own bars. Yes. <laughs> but they don't. But they don't. But, they, not but they're not only our yeah. own bars. That's you know? true. Um, for our own psychological health, we also go and drink at other, other people's bars. bars. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one or two of those bars will be our kind of non, the regular, our regular spots that we don't know. Yeah. Anyway, point is this. I applaud that this person who's written this letter feels enough loyalty not only to this particular bar, but clearly to the idea that they have a regular relationship yeah. with the bar. Um, you know, I, I really don't know what to tell you. I, I guess, <laughs> I guess, given the situation, I mean, yeah, every time you go to that bar, you are supporting those bartenders who are working there, including the ones who came back that, yeah. you, that you knew before. But... With every single transaction, you are also supporting this owner yeah. who we can all agree is a dick. Yeah, and yeah, we're pretty so sure. So I don't know, like, and you have to make you have to make that ethical balance for yourself, and I, I can't really make it for you, but but don't but <laughs> but I they guess, ask the question. I guess my only <laughs> advice is don't let this discourage you from being a regular somewhere. Yes, be a regular somewhere. <laughs> be a regular somewhere. All right, that is a good ending. Ending. Uh, Statement. Yeah.
good place to end. All right. So, um, David, let's promote your your stuff. You can find David at... You can find me at Quarter Bar on mm-hmm. Wednesday nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, we open at 4, and uh, by law at the moment, we close at 11. Um, so you can find me there every Wednesday, barring some change in the schedule, mm-hmm. but that's the general idea. Uh, and I guess if you want to just say hello, because you know me, <laughs> you, could, you could see me at Long Island Bar on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, but... It's uh, fucking nuts over there uh, mm-hmm. these days, especially as the weather gets warmer. So okay. your chances of actually having a meaningful conversation with me are, <laughs> are fairly slim. Okay. So whereas on Wednesdays at Quarter Bar, if all goes well, I'm pretty busy. But I'm usually not too busy to have like a, at least a couple minutes of conversation with, with people. Cool. And you can find me at Hinterlands or Minis. And this is the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. You should all come to Hinterlands because I know the owner. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, This has been Charlene Wellington and David Moo. Thanks. Bye. Bye.